0: Are you going through a tough time and wondering what to do next? Stick around for a faith strengthening edition of Abounding Grace. This is amazing. Grace. It's time once again for Abounding Grace, a ministry of Calvary Aurora. Glad you could make it. Pastor Ed Taylor is currently leading a study in 2 Kings. Find your place in chapter four, where we'll begin at verse eight. We're about to be encouraged by the incredible faith of a dear woman going through a really tough time. And maybe that's where you're at today. You're in great distress, not knowing what to do or where to turn. I think you'll find today's lesson especially helpful. Here's Ed with part one of Tune Your Ears to Hear God's Voice.
1: Chapter 4, as we're learning from the life of the prophet Elisha, a man of God, being used of God to bring great joy through these glorious miracles in people's lives. The pattern of God, to use people to, to reach people. And Elisha's been given a double portion of his mentor, Elijah's ministry. And he's very different than Elijah. As you study his life, Elisha is different than Elijah. And we looked at the life of Elijah in previous chapters through 1 Kings. There's no one model for the man or the woman that God uses in ministry. He uses people from all walks of life. He uses people from all backgrounds. He uses people with all types of personalities because there's such a variety of people on the earth to be reached. And there's no one model. God has made you and created you and changed you so that he might use you. And you don't have to be discouraged that that you don't have someone else's gifting or you don't have someone else's ability or you don't have someone else's upbringing or any of the things that might cause us to be jealous or concerned about our lot in life. You know, when you look at Elijah, Elijah was more of a rough type of man. He was described, you recall, as hairy with a leather belt, you know, sort of like the mountain man type of guy. Where Elisha is much more personable, and we learn that through his ministry. He's relatable to the people that God has called him to serve. He was more of a guy that would develop relationships in people's lives, and yet God used them both. And it led me to be reminded of how I appreciate the diversity of the men and women that God has chosen to use, and especially within the context of our own ministry here at Calvary, which is where I spend most of my time. Just just looking at the diversity of the personalities and the backgrounds and the spiritual giftings that God has used and raised up in the ministry here at Calvary, it's it's not a one-size-fits-all. There's not a one type of program that's going to prepare us all to do the work of the ministry, but God tailors his message and his discipleship, and he shapes it in such a way to disciple you, to use you, and to conform you for what he has for you, and collectively, we all get to enjoy the fruit of, of the lives that God has chosen to use. And this should encourage us, because for those that want to write yourself off, and those that want to minimize your giftings, and those that just don't seem to be so talented, or you don't see yourself as so intellectual, or you don't think you have anything to offer God, be of good cheer. God wants to use you as you are. He wants to use what you bring. And it's not just what other people, you don't have to measure up to some outward standard. You don't have to measure up to some, some area of outward qualifications of ministry. See, the qualifications of ministry are inward, not outward. And if God has the inward man, the inward woman, then it's going to manifest itself outwardly so that we can look backwards and say, through the behavior demonstrated outwardly, we can get a good sense of who you are inwardly. Or, as Jesus said, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So we can tell by what your language is and how you speak and how you you act, there's a good indication of your personal walk with the Lord. The qualifications God has for ministry are character traits, which is why character flaws on the inward man will eventually destroy him and destroy her if not surrendered and, you know, repented and surrendered to the Lord. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, and this is from the New Living Translation, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up only one body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free, but we've all been baptized into Christ's body by one spirit, and we've all received the same spirit. Verse 14. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, that doesn't make it any less part of the body. And if the ear says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm only an ear and not an eye, would that make any less a part of the body? Suppose the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? And if the whole body were just one big ear, how could you smell anything? But God made our bodies with many parts, and he's put each part just where he wants it. And I love this, verse 19. What a strange thing a body would be if it had only one part. And the picture would be this. What a strange thing the church of Jesus Christ would be if it only came in one size and one type. Sometimes people think, you know, maybe if I study really hard and go to seminary, and take care of these things, maybe God—then God would use you. Well, if you study really hard and go to seminary, maybe God will use you, maybe He won't. Well, if you don't go to seminary, you don't go to some formal training, you're not able to. It's very much how I entered into the body of Christ. The way that my life was before I got saved, I was young and already raising a family. And the type of online school and the things that we have available today weren't available back then. And so going to school and studying in that way, in that formal way, just wasn't an option. I, it was laid before me. I either raise my family and be faithful there or neglect my family and go to school. And so I couldn't. I, I had to focus on the family that God had given me. And, and I wasn't able to study. And I, and I wasn't able to go to formal training. And yet God in his graciousness and, and in, in him coming down to see something in me to develop, he decided to use me. Uh, not one size fits all. It's the anointing of God and His equipping that really matters. The kind, of God, the kind of person that God uses is one that's ready and open and surrendered. You can read it later, but in Acts chapter 6, when they were looking for godly men to serve, it were very simple qualifications. Men of good reputation, filled with the Holy Spirit. Men that, that were, were willing to obey and serve and, and just be a servant. And and so here's some of the elements that we've studied in previous studies. But are you saved? Are you flexible? Are you available? Are you teachable? Are you faithful? Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Are you filled with wisdom? Do you have a good reputation? These are basic ingredients that we all can have to the life that's used greatly by Him. A desire. Do you have a heart aflame with the desire to obey God? Because all the opposite of these things make you unusable. I mean, you may be sitting here today and you go, you know, I just don't want to be used by God. I I don't want to be used. I want to do my own thing. Well, it's going to be very, very hard for you to be used by God when you don't want to be used by God. So the first step for you is just to say, God, would you change my heart? and Begin in prayer. Would you change my heart? Because right now, you know, I don't want to be used by you. I, I don't want to be serving. I don't want to be involved. And God, begin to change your heart and begin to minister to who you are in the inner woman, in the inner man. It was D.L. Moody, the great evangelist. He was convinced that total surrender to God was the key to successful ministry. And it was only reinforced in the early years of his ministry when he heard the British evangelist Henry Varley say this, and I quote, The world has yet to see what God will do with and for and through and in and by the man who is fully and wholly consecrated to him. And then Moody, when he heard that, he asked God to make him that man. And here we are studying and reading excerpts of Moody's life, even to this day, because God will make you the man and make you the woman that you request him to be. It's a beautiful thing. Elijah and Elisha are different guys, and yet God uses them greatly. And we spent some time looking at the fullness and the overflow of all these empty vessels in the widow's house last time. So let's pick up in verse 8 where we left off. Now it happened that one day that Elisha went to Shunem where there was a notable woman, and she constrained him to eat some food. So it was, as often as he passed by, that he turned in there to eat some food. And she said to her husband, "'Look now, I know that this is a holy man of God who passes us by regularly.' Please, let us make a small upper room on the wall and let us put a bed in there for him and a table and a chair and a lampstand so it will be that whenever he comes to us, he can turn in there. And it happened one day that he came there and he turned into the upper room and he lay down there. Verse 12. Then he said to Gehazi, his servant, call the Shunammite woman. And when he had called her, she stood before him. And he said to him, say now to her, look, you've been concerned for us with all this care. What can I do for you? Do you want me to speak on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? And she answered, I dwell among my own people. And so he said, well, what then is there to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, actually, she has no son, and her husband is old. And he said, call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the doorway. And then he said, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, "No, my lord, man of God, do not lie to your main servant." And the woman conceived and bore a son. And when the appointed time had come, of, Elisha, of which Elijah, Elisha has told her. So, in Elisha's travels, he developed relationships, and one of the relationships was with this family. He visited and, and passed by so regularly that they decided to build him a room. He said, if he's going to come by so many times, let's invite him in. Let's make a space for him. We'll put a little bed in there. We'll put a table. And they decided to build a little guest room for him to bless him and encourage him. And one of those visits, he felt this sense of appreciation and, and asked the woman and sent message, what can I do for you? I mean, you have done so much for me. What can I do for you? And by the way, by the way, that is the attitude of you and me as we begin to appreciate all that God has done for us. We serve from the abundance of grace in our lives so that when you just begin to meditate on how good God has been to you, how gracious he is, how wonderful, when you begin to meditate on how he's delivered you, how he's empowered you, how he's helped you, how he's come alongside of you, your response is so often, and my response is not, God, give me more. Our response becomes, what can I do for you? What can I do for you? It's not that I have to work hard to please you, God. And it's not like I have this obligation. It's not out of obligation. It's out of desire. It's, it's out of love. And here they are. He's so appreciative of what they've done for him that he turns around and says, what can I do? What can I do for you? And out of the discussion, it was really nothing except Gehazi said, oh, by the way, she doesn't have a son. That's really the issue on her heart. She doesn't have a son in her her husband is old and it doesn't look like that's ever going to happen, is really the conversation. And so the Lord spoke to Elisha, and Elisha spoke to the woman and gave an interesting, glorious prophecy in verse 16. By this time next year, you're going to have a son. You're going to embrace a son. I mean, those are are strong words that can be taken one of two ways. They can just be really encouraging and you can embrace them. Or as I know many of you have struggled and may perhaps even tonight struggling with infertility and wrestling with that in your own body, those can be hard words to receive. Uh, It can be very difficult to receive a, a good word in a hard time. Well, in verse 17, the word came to pass. The woman conceived and she bore a son which affirms that Elisha is a prophet of God. This is the, this is the proof uh, that a man or a woman is speaking on behalf of God is when what they prophesy comes to pass. And here's a proof that he is a true prophet and a true miracle. In verse 18, the child grew, and now it happened one day that he went out to his father to the reapers, and he said to his father, "'My head, my head!' And so he said to his servant, "Carry him to his mother.' And when he had taken him and brought him to his mother,' He sat on her knees till noon and he died. Verse 21, she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door upon him and went out. And then she called to her husband and said, please send me one of the young men and one of the donkeys that I might run to the man of God and come back. And so he said, why are you going to him today? It's neither a new moon nor a Sabbath. And she said, it's well. And she saddled a donkey and said to her servant, drive and go forward. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. And so she departed and went to the man of God at Mount Carmel. But what a joy verse 17 is. The prophecy of God comes to pass and she is granted the baby that was promised that she longed for her whole life. Only in a manner of time as the child grew up and began to work in the fields that she lost her child and he died. And as the son was given to the couple, he grows up and and this fatal injury he's brought home ends up dying in his own mom's arms. And what a tragedy. The one that was promised, the, the child of love, was lost. And yet, we see in this woman tremendous faith. She's a woman of faith. I believe as we eventually get to it in Hebrews chapter 11, she's one of those women mentioned in faith. Nameless, but a woman of faith nonetheless. And you can read it for yourself in Hebrews chapter 11. But she doesn't send to her husband to declare their son's death. Instead, she asks for transportation so she can find that man of God. Uh, this This is the illustration of us seeking the Lord in tough times. It certainly is easier said than done. And it's easier to see in someone else's life than it is in our own life. But it's just as possible in your life as it was in this woman's life. She worships the same God. And yet by faith, we have have a true relationship with the Messiah that was promised and that we are now filled with the Holy Spirit. And and we have God living inside of us that we can seek God in tough times. And she heads out to find the man of God. Where does she find him? Well, it says she finds him in verse 25 up on Mount Carmel. How beautifully as we were praying, does this come together with the word that God gave our sister Denine this morning, which then she gave to us. That, that Elisha was found where? He was found up on the mountain, the mountaintop. The mountaintop in the Bible often reflects a place of devotion, a, a, fl- a place of commitment, a place of dedication. Sometimes uh, the mountaintop is the place of sacrifice and complete wholehearted sacrifice and, and setting themselves apart. You know, how can we not think of Abraham taking his own son up to the mountaintop in full obedience? Mountaintops speak of those times of getting away from everything down in the lowlands and to seek the Lord. And it's no small thing that Elisha is found at Mount Carmel. Isolating himself away from the world and yet at that place of elevating himself into seeking God. What a sweet interaction now. Notice in verse 26, it says in verse 25 at the end, and so it was when the man of God saw her afar off that he said to his servant Gehazi, look, there's the Shunammite woman. Please run to meet her, verse 26, and say to her, is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with your child? And she answered, it is well. Those are strong words. It is well. Words of trust and faith. Because in the physical, it's not well. well. But in the spiritual, it is well. Verse 27. Now when she came to the man of God at the hill, she caught him by the feet. But Gehazi came near to push her away. But the man of God said, Let her alone, for her soul is in deep distress. And the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. And she said, did I not ask a son of my Lord? Did I not say, do not deceive me? And then he said to Gehazi, get yourself ready and take my staff in your hand and be on your way. If you meet anyone, to, to do not greet him. And if anyone greets you, do not answer him. But lay my staff on the face of the child. What a sweet interaction between Elisha and the woman. How are things going? She grabs him by the feet. Things are good. She, she starts out well and then motion overcomes her. Grabs him by the feet. She's in anguish and yet declares it to be well. There's faith involved. That's the bridge here between her feelings and her faith. And Gehazi, you know, he's like the disciples. All those who were hungry came and what did the disciples say? Send them away. Send them away. And that wasn't the purpose by which Jesus came to send them away. He says, let them come to me. Even disciples, you know, what do they they're, they're so hungry, send them away. When the kids were coming, you know, send the kids away. And they say, let the little children come to me, Jesus said. And that's what Elisha says. Let her come to me. Let her come. It's always the right response to deep distress. Invite people near. Don't push them away. Remember back in 1 Samuel when Hannah was met with disdain by Eli the priest, not recognizing her distress, he accuses her of being drunk pushes her away. Lord, help us to be sensitive and open and ready to serve. Her spirit was strong, but her flesh begins to fail. And she trusts God, but there's the reality before her. It's it's the reality in our lives so often. It's normal. Great faith, faltering faith. Great trust, doubt. Great courage, fear. The flesh, the spirit, they war against one another, the Bible says. And we I don't know how often you pray this prayer, uh, but when you do, uh, you're praying just like the apostles did when they said in Luke 17:5, the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. Increase our faith. Just don't have it right now. In verse 27, I found it was interesting. In verse 27, notice, when she, when, when she came to the man of God at the hill, she caught him by the feet, but Gehazi came to push her away The man of God said, let her alone, her soul's in deep distress. And then look at this phrase, the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. There is this statement that whatever's going on in her life, God has hidden it from me. And it's almost as if Elisha is expressing this sense that normally God reveals things to him. And he might be a little surprised here or a little concerned. No, God has hidden it from me. Almost like he has this expectation, like in the past, that God would reveal it to him, just like in previously, God had revealed to him that she would have a baby in a year. I mean, a tremendous revelation. But why she's running with sorrow and sadness, he says, I don't know what's going on. And he refers to that as the Lord has hidden it from me. And he's a little surprised that he doesn't know what God is doing. And I began to think about that in my own life. In my own life, it's usually the opposite. For me, personally, I'm surprised at times when God reveals things to me. I'm usually caught off guard. I'm usually caught off guard by things. And it's not that I'm not praying, although that's sometimes. So, Lord, if... I remember one time praying, you know, that a situation was going on and it all went down and it didn't go down too well. And I was just lamenting to the Lord on the way into the office one morning, a year or so, maybe a couple years ago, and just like, Lord, why didn't you do this? And why didn't you show me this? And why didn't you reveal this to me? And why do I have to learn it this way? And why couldn't you just shown? And it was almost like, you know, everything was silent. And and the car was silent, and I was silent, and I could sense the Lord saying, I did reveal it to you, and He gave me the point when He revealed it to me. He reminded me in my mind and my memory when He showed me exactly what was going on, and I responded in a way that was not reflective of what He was showing me. I was walking, and, and you know we've been taught, and I believe this to be true, and this is how my heart is, and, and I desire it to be in my life, that if you're going to err in ministry and serving people, that you should err on the side of grace and to be gracious. So that even if you're going to make a mistake, you know, make a mistake in honoring and loving people and be gracious. And that's something that I've adopted in my life. I want, if I'm going to make a mistake, I, want to be, I don't want to be harsh. I don't want to make a mistake harshly. I don't want to make a mistake, which I've done and it's very bad. I don't, that God has been very gracious to me and forgiving me for some of those mistakes in the past. And so I, I, I want to err on the side of grace. And yet there's something higher than erring on the side of grace and that's obeying God when he speaks. And he just reminded me, and he was just very gentle. He's like, here you are lamenting, and it's you and me in the car. But, Ed, I did show you. I did show you. And he even gave me the words and the vocabulary and everything of what was going on in the time. But Elisha, he was so tuned into the spiritual realm that that when he doesn't know something, he's like, God's hidden it from me. As if God's always revealing stuff to him. And, and that's part of, that's, the, that's kind of the desire that I have. And it's similar to Elijah. God does want to speak to you. God does want to reveal things in your life. God does want to give you insight into the spiritual realm.
0: Thank you for listening today to Abounding Grace. Our teacher, Pastor Ed Taylor, has been in 2 Kings. You can hear this study anytime you'd like online at calvaryaurora.org. Hey, do you have a stubborn habit you'd like to break free of here in the new year? Maybe it's filthy language or an improper thought life. We'd like to suggest a great book by Erwin Lutzer that can help. It's called How to Break a Stubborn Habit. You'll learn how to apply God's Word and overcome whatever is plaguing your life. We'll send it to you with our thanks for a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. And thank you for remembering us in your prayers and giving to the Lord here in 2019. We rely completely on God to make all this happen. And we look to our listeners to help us cover the increasing costs of being on the radio. Call toll-free at 877-30-GRACE or go online to CalvaryAurora.org. That's 877-30-GRACE. If you prefer to write to Abounding Grace, jot down this address, 18900 East Hamden Avenue, Aurora, Colorado 80013. Well, there's much more to come in 2 Kings. Don't miss a moment of the journey right here on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor.
1: This is amazing grace.
0: Bound in Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado.